I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Turn on the Jets Presents Draft Season. And you know what? I have now said this enough that I think I now sound like Joe does when he does the TOJ draft because that the TOJ podcast, because that's exactly how he starts every episode of Badlands. And sorry, Joe, I've now taken it and, you know, put my own spin on it. I am your moderator, D.A. Osario, joined by the rest of the four horsemen of the what is known as the NFL draft, James Koontz, Michael Megan and Joseph Bellick. James is back after a one week hiatus where he missed. All pro Mark Schofield just absolutely agree with everything he said, because when the takes are fuego, the takes are right. And that's what James gives you every every week on Twitter. Uh, James, Joe, how are you guys doing, man? Happy, happy Saturday, because we are recording this on a Saturday before Valentine's Day, because happy wife, happy life for a lot of folks. And I'm glad nobody laughed at that when I said, listen, guys, you really need to do this on a Saturday. Uh, but how are you guys doing, James, Joe, how you feeling? Yeah, I hear you about that Saturday approach. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely there with you. I'm doing great, Matt. I only slept for about three hours last night, so hopefully I'm a bit uh, more coherent than I than I probably will end up being. But uh, yeah, man, I'm doing I'm doing good, man. Pumped for for today. Connor Rogers coming on. Nice, nice. How about you, James? How you feeling? Doing well. It's great to have all the guys back together. That's right. That's right. That's right. And uh, we'll go to Meigs in a minute. But first, you guys know the format, man. Seven rounds of draft talk. However, this episode. A little different because we're doing it a little different. At round one, we're going to kick this off with a grade, the mock. This comes from NFL.com's mock that they just released this because it was a three-round mock draft. However, because we have a very special interview, I'm only going to give you guys the chance to grade one part of this, right? And so starting next week, we'll be grading second and third and fourth rounders. This is the last week that we are grading a first-round mock, okay? So this is with the Seattle pick at 23. NFL.com has... The New York Jets selecting Najee Harris, running back from Alabama (laughs) at 23. I'm going to go to James first because James is by far the most anti-running back in the first round guy I've ever met. James, tell the people what you would grade this pick if Najee Harris is the pick at 23. Yeah, I would give this pick probably a C- minus or a D plus. um, Just because it's not really about the player. It's about the positional value and it's about the team needs. When we look at this roster, there are so many positions of value that we do not have good enough players at. Quarterback, edge, corner, offensive line, wide receiver, like the list goes on of positions that are more valuable than running back that we need upgrades at. And I think it would be foolish to devote such a high pick to such an inv- like to such a unvaluable position. And so it's not really about Najee Harris. I think he's a very talented player, but it's about the positional value. And that's why I think this is not a great pick. 
And it's interesting to add, to give some credence to, to, to your theory. They released a chart uh, just a couple of days ago of the uh, salaries of the running backs of every team that made it to a championship game this, this season. Nobody was paying a running back more than $2 million. Nobody. Right. And so I think when we talk and, and we know this, right, like Saquon Barkley is one of the highest paid running backs in the league because the running back number is so high for him. Right. Like it, it just it's just high in the league. But you're now think about it. Uh, you're now investing not only draft capital, but money into this position that historically over the last you know five, six years, you haven't needed a top paid running back to be successful in this league. So that's a point. That's a point for, for James. Joe, you're a big Najee Harris guy. We've talked about this before. We're talking about steal your soul runs. Najee's that guy, right? I saw another mock that had him going to Buffalo. And I said, man, if you give Josh Allen Najee Harris with Stephon Diggs, that's pretty scary. What do you grade? What do you grade this mock with Najee Harris going to the Jets with the Seattle Seahawks pick? Well, you know, first to, you know, mention that little chart that, that popped up about, you know, the lack of, uh, you know, funds they invested in the running back um, for these guys who were the lead rushers in the Super Bowl. I think the, the other common, you know, thread there between those teams is that pretty much every single one of them had a Hall of Fame quarterback right? Maybe only two of the 12 didn't. So I think you could kind of mitigate, you know, the lack of a one game or having a stud back when you have that kind of firepower at quarterback. So I think that that kind of was, I think that was a little misleading to be honest with you, the way they put that out there being like, oh, you don't really need a running back. Uh, look at what these teams are doing. Well, they all have Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Right. <laughs> um, as, far as, as far as Najee Harris, I love Najee. I mean, he's my RB1. Um, seeing somebody mock him there. It's, I mean, I'm, I'm feeling a bit ambivalent about it because I just, I, I feel like in this particular run game, having a stud back is very important. I know we've talked about the Shanahan's finding running backs late and stuff like that. But if we're going to have a rookie quarterback, I think it would might, might be wise to possibly invest in, in a stud running back to kind of like, again, help mitigate the situation, kind of make things a little bit easier for him. We've talked about Sam Darnold, how the lack of a running game thwarted his development as well. So I, I I'm, I'm still not, listen, I'm, I'm not huge on taking running backs in the first round, even when it is Najee, even when it is a guy who I love, but I, I, I could understand it. I could get behind it. Um, so I, I would, I would give this a B, you know, I, I do, I do agree with James and a lot of, you know, with the, a lot of things he said, as far as, you know, other needs and, and you, and, and there are going to be some decent running backs later on and maybe impossibly in free agency. Um, but listen, Najee's a beast, man, you know, like, <laughs> This guy's going to run over people. He's going to make things easier. I mean, you even look at Aaron Rodgers last year and that first year in um, LaFleur's offense. You know, people were saying he's taken a step back. You know, things didn't even look so good for him in that particular offense his first year. You know, the, the, calling all these motions and doing all these things that they do within that offense is pretty difficult. It could be a little bit hard on a quarterback his first year. So, again, trying to, like, mitigate that, those responsibilities with somebody who you know who's going to punch people in the face every single play – I think, yeah, I could get behind that. Yeah, and I think, and to, and to counter, because I gave a point to James for this, but to counter, Joe Douglas comes from a, you know, from a front office in, in Philadelphia and in Baltimore that has invested in the run game, right? Like we've seen, we've seen that right now. I think there is something to be said for investing a first round pick, but we don't know what free agency is going to shake out as, right? Like, and and I think I, I said this in, in, in the draft season chat too, like, if say they filled every need in free agency, because they have enough money to do it realistically, right? Like say they signed, you know, Meigs' favorite edge, Matt Judon, right? Who only gets sacks against tight ends one-on-one, right? So say <laughs> so he's like Matt Judon, signs Allen Robinson, signs Joe Tooney, right? Like realistically, you could make the argument that at that point, what's missing to help your young quarterback is a running back. Um, it's just, it's fascinating because we've now seen 
you know, and, and you guys will see this in the next couple of weeks when draft season releases our mock draft, uh, mock draft tracker. We've seen running back mock to the Jets a lot at this spot, right? Whether it's Najee now, Travis Etienne before, it's a popular pick for the Jets. Um, and I wonder if as we go through this process, that starts to shift a little bit. Let's go straight to round two before but, we bring I just want to add, sorry, D. I think that, you know, running back has lost its value, not because of, you know, what they bring to the table, but because of their longevity. You know, it's like, right. it's just, you know, do we want to re-sign this guy in like four years? Do we want to give him the big contract? Because there's no question what they can do for an offense. You look at what Todd Gurley did in that kind of like outside zone system with the Rams and like what he made Jared Goff look like. I mean, they went to the Super Bowl. But then again, look, they gave him the big contract. All of a sudden, his knee's not working right. Right. You know, and things kind of went south. You know, now right. he's on the Falcons, right? So I do understand that argument. But I think that people really need to start to, you know, understand that, you know, running backs are a valuable position. They can do a lot for an offense. And like you said, if they address some, some needs in, in free agency, maybe they, they maybe taking Najee wouldn't be so bad here. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Right into round three, four, five, six, and seven, our interview with Bleacher Report's own, Badlands own, and my TOJ brethren who entered TOJ the same time I did. And we are still here. My man, Connor Rogers, brother, how is it going? Good. What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No, you know, no, thank you. Hard. Yeah, thank you. And, and I was telling the guys before you came on, I said, I said, listen, man, Joe's got him cranking out some stuff for Badlands. So we're just going to have to move ours a little bit. It's uh, okay. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to make it work. We're going to make it work. No, thank you so much, man, for being on. Um, You know, we really, really appreciate it. And, you know, we're just going to, we're going to kick it with you for a little bit. We're going to ask you a bunch of questions. And then we got some rapid fire questions to ask you towards the end that came from Jets Twitter, because as you know, these maniacs, this is around the time where they start paying attention to the draft stuff. Right? Like they didn't see any of it during the first five, six months, but now as we're getting right into the nitty gritty, this is when they pay attention. So I'm going to field the first question for you, man. And this is, uh, you know, we had Mark Schofield on last week. We were talking quarterbacks. Um, and the big question, I think, obviously, now that the Jets have, you know, they played themselves out of Trevor Lawrence, you know, country, unless Urban Meyer does something crazy, is you have Zach Wilson, you have Justin Fields, and then kind of on the outside, you have Trey Lance, you know, who probably isn't in consideration for the second pick overall, but who actually Mark believes is the best fit out of all three for that Shanahan LaFleur offense. You have Zach Wilson QB too, right? Go, go, going into, you know, what's now about to come with the pro days and stuff. What separates Wilson from Fields in your mind, just in this situation and also for the Jets, just in terms of the fit? In the general landscape, not much, honestly. I, I think it's ridiculous for anyone to come out and, and say, well, every, you know, each their own, right? Everybody has their own opinions. But I think when you really look at these guys, and I feel the same way for Lance, I look at the rankings right here. 
I mean, for me, I have Wilson as the third best player in this class. Fields is the fourth best player and Lance as the fifth best player. So it's a great quarterback class and they all are a little different. Right. So I think where you can start to separate them is the second part of your question in terms of scheme. I I think if you're talking about overall ceiling in this scheme, Lance would probably be the best guy. The problem is we have one year of FCS ball. We didn't really get to see him play this year besides a showcase game where you kind of shrug your shoulders. And he's somebody that, you know, if you talk to his full-time quarterback trainer and Quincy Avery has never until recently trained to be, just be a quarterback, right? He's an athlete. So, you know, wasn't a high profile recruit where he was going to Alabama or Clemson. He goes, North Dakota state's a great program, especially for quarterbacks, but there's a reason why he was overlooked or whatever it is. Now, a lot of it is because he was a late bloomer. And I think when you look at it, are you going to throw, Trey Lance onto an NFL field from day one after a year off, after that year off came after FCS ball. I think that's a lot to ask. And I think for the Jets or really any team picking in the top three, I don't know if they're willing to do that. Now, if they do, once again, the explanation is because he could end up being the best pure thrower at all three levels in this class. I mean, probably after Lawrence, although there's touch throws that are as good as anyone in this class. So really start with the, the last guy, and that's Lance. Now, you wonder how will he look when he's under pressure against NFL athletes where the speed is insane? Uh, how will he look mechanically overall? You know, there's a lot of different things across the board with him where you, you just don't know, and, and that makes him really interesting player in this class. Now, when you look at Fields and Wilson, it's a little easier. You've seen Fields play at the highest level of competition against power five, you know, power five teams over and over again, where if you're looking for a scheme that you want to maximize a guy as a runner, not just picking up five yards here, five yards there, I'm talking about second level of the field running fields is the guy to do that. Whether it's the body type, whether it's making someone miss, whether it's taking those hits, a lot of different things along the lines of that. I think his arm strength is tremendous. I think really, once again, you're talking about throwing at all three levels there's really not a lot of throws that he can't make. Now, the thing with fields that you'll hear from everyone is that internal clock. Can it speed up? For most young quarterbacks struggle with this. I think it is the one thing that you look at with him and you sit there and go, you know, it's a risk like anything else. It's a risk. We've seen it be a problem with, with young quarterbacks that have struggled. It's been something even for Darnold. So Jets fans know it firsthand, holding on to the ball, um, I'm not really going to criticize Fields for being a, a one-read quarterback in that offense. I think he is told to really look one way, and when the play breaks down, it's up to him with his legs. So then you get on to Wilson, where the ball placement, I think, is probably the best of anyone's in this class. Uh, the athleticism is not on the level of Lance or Fields, but it's good. It's adequate. It's not like the Mac Jones and Kyle Trask of the world, where I can't take those players in the first round in today's NFL. I just don't think it's worth that kind of investment. The body type is going to be interesting to me because I think he's a little bit more narrow and slender than the other three guys. I know Lawrence weighed in at like only 213 yesterday for a six foot six guy, which is crazy, but they'll have him up to 230 in two years. So with Wilson, the injury history is a legitimate question mark. But once again, when you could throw on the move like the way he does in an offense that's going to use A lot of play action, a lot of rollouts, a lot of cutting the field in half, a lot of things based on West Coast timing. I think that's why you look at him as kind of a dream fit. So it's it's what you want this offense to do. Sure, we can evaluate what Mike LaFleur did under Kyle Shanahan and say, well, Zach Wilson's perfect for that. And I think he is. I want to be very clear with that. 
But we don't know if Michael LaFleur wants to bring in more running concepts or, you know, maybe a guy that can take on more of those hits like Justin Fields, where that could be a differentiator in all of this. But I think the overall thesis of this long rant is there are four guys I view as franchise quarterbacks in this class. I think all four of them will go in the top eight picks of this draft. And, and all four aren't just the guys with adequate potential. They have superstar potential. Yeah. And I think honestly, and I, I, and before I pass it to Joe and James, I think that that's spot on. I think I even sent out a tweet in December that said, listen, all four of them, I, I think all four of them will be fine. I, and, and I, I, I think that there's a lot of uh, almost this folks don't want to be the ones that miss on, 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 on Mahomes, right? Like they missed on Mahomes, right? Folks also don't want to be the ones that overthink it like they did with Deshaun Watson, right? Where it was like, oh, he's not going to be able to throw in the cold. And here he is, like no receiver, poor old line, no running game. He has the best season of his career, right? And you're seeing a lot of that. So I think you see some of that projection. You you hit on two points that I want to touch on before I pass it to Joe. You mentioned uh, you mentioned the, like, just in terms of just these, these are four quarterbacks with, again, superstar potential, right? Does that change if there, if you hit on all four of these, because we've talked about this before, just how different it is now scouting quarterbacks, as opposed to maybe 10 years ago, we even said, we use the example of Josh Rosen, right? Josh Rosen is a quarterback that because he wasn't mobile like that, almost got drafted into the wrong era because he's such a pocket passer. And that's not a thing anymore. You hit on these four guys with mobility, accuracy, ability to play out of the pocket, ability to make plays off script, right? Does that change the way that you guys start to look at, at the draft when it comes to quarterbacks, because I think back to even like Lamar, right? There's so many questions about Lamar as a quarterback, but you and I talked about this ad nauseum there. He can make throws. He was a quarterback. He wasn't just a runner or whatever. So does more success from those guys, does that change the way you guys start to look at quarterbacks? You think? Absolutely. There's just no denying it. I think yeah. the way, if you talked to me four or five years ago, I might have Mac Jones in round one. And Mac Jones can make every throw. Mac Jones is great with timing. He's great with touch. Um, I think he, he stands tall in the pocket. He doesn't really seem rattled. I just think in today's NFL, if you're comparing a guy to Kirk Cousins or someone like that, are you taking that guy in the first round? I, I, that doesn't fall in my philosophy. Now, some teams might say I can win with that guy. Like this, the Saints take a guy like Mac Jones at the end of round one. You sit there and go, well, they have everything set up for him to succeed. A great offensive line, a pass catching back, a number one receiver, production at tight end from whoever they put out there year after year. Uh, they really just find a way to get it done under Sean Payton where that fit makes sense. That's one of a you know, bunch of teams in the NFL that need a quarterback, and not everyone's like that. So it factors in. Uh, it's changed over the years for me. I think I thought Deshaun was a phenomenal packet pocket passer and that's why I evaluated him as the best quarterback in that class the running at the time to me was a bonus right. if you if I did that evaluation over again it would have been like oh no the running is what makes him special or I shouldn't say running I kind of hate that term I should say extending plays mm -hmm. is what makes him special but he was a good enough pocket passer on his own to be the best quarterback in that class in my eyes with Mahomes I didn't at the time I didn't think Mahomes could play under structure and he right. showed that right. He did enough out of structure to learn how to play under structure, bought right. him time where then after the following year, that's why I bought into Lamar Jackson. I said, right. Lamar Jackson is so rare out of structure that he will get better over time in a system. And they built a really nice system for him. He flourished in it under his own right. I mean, at the time, you know, and I miss like anyone else, but people were like, how do you have Lamar Jackson over Sam Darnold when every person on TV has Sam Darnold as the number one pick? And I'm like, because I don't care about that. I look at it differently. Now with Sam, 
I thought he would be a good out of structure player. And I think he really hasn't been as good as we expected it to be. And he's really struggled, you know, in the pocket a lot and a lot of different things, but it varies year to year. The overall point of the question is, is it, uh, is it necessary in today's NFL? It's close. It's really close. You need to be pretty special. You need to be pretty special uh, to not have it and go in the first round. And, and it's, and you know, once again, like, is Zach Wilson going to run for 500 yards a year? No, but can he throw on the move and can he make a guy miss? Yeah, he can. He has a good feel in the pocket, a good, it's like a peripheral thing. So it's a great question. I think I'm curious to see how it goes, how the NFL is looking at it because we'll get our answer with Trask and Mac Jones this year. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I, and I, and I'm going to pass it to Joe, but I will say, I remember you and I getting a lot of flack for having Lamar Jackson higher than Sam Darnold that, that, that year. So, so, and sure enough, it's proven out to be true. Joe, I'll pass it over to you. So you, so you can get your questions in. Yeah. You know, I want to touch on the leadership factor between these two guys, you know, both Wilson and Fields look like they make great leaders. Fields in particular played a big role in getting the big 10 back on the field. Right. And he's been in the spotlight since he's been in high school. And Wilson is this kid with a lot of swag. I mean, there's been some controversy like yesterday and stuff. Was he a captain? Wasn't he a captain? But people obviously came to his defense. So I think it's safe to say that he was a, he played a leadership role there too. Plus he has this kind of killer instinct that I personally love to see in a football player. I mean, this kid took two BYU cheerleaders to the prom, right? So we know he has some game, right? And if that doesn't speak leadership, I, I personally, I don't know what does. <laughs> but really all jokes aside, uh, we still haven't seen Wilson on the big stage and his first two years at BYU, he struggled. And his recent success was in front of a limited crowd, not, not too many people in the stands. We actually mentioned this last week, but I thought it would be good to revisit it. Is that a concern for you? And how do you think he'll handle the pressure of playing at, at MetLife Stadium and in New York compared to like Justin Fields? You know, it's a great question because it's, it's one of the hardest things to predict, right? I think that when you look for a guy, you want him to be calm, cool, and collected. And I think when people bought into, and I was one of them, bought into Baker Mayfield as a prospect, you know, he got insulted for his moxie and he got loved for it. And it just goes to show you how everybody sees things a little different. Now, you love Baker when he gives you a jolt of energy. You hate Baker when he's on Twitter or on barking back at a reporter when it just seems like his focus should be elsewhere. I don't think Zach Wilson is like Baker. I don't see Zach Wilson on Twitter or, you know, challenging draft analysis or, but I'm saying that, you know, it's, it's almost like when people see that, that extra smile or that extra, you know, killer instinct, some people love it. And some people go, Oh, is he a good teammate? Is he making it about him? So I think there's different ways to evaluate it. I don't have any of those concerns with Zach Wilson. I definitely don't have any, any concerns with Justin Fields. I think Fields is someone that is not only a great leader, and you see that with this Ohio State team at a pretty prestigious program, uh, but somebody that, like you said, this has been going on in his life since he was a recruit. I mean, people forget him and Trevor Lawrence were 1A and 1B, very calm, cool, collected individuals, which I, is something I love about both of them. It's, it's maybe something that we don't hear enough about Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. Like we love watching them compete for national titles and we love watching them make plays. And we love that they aided in bringing college football back. But these guys have been like that since they stepped onto campus where there was a lot of pressure on both of them. Trevor being a guy that had to win a national title as a true freshman Fields, someone that should have been playing right away. And we know how that mess went down in Georgia and, and it all worked out at Ohio state, but you know, and was phenomenal as a sophomore. 
So I think, and you know, with Trey Lance, you know, do I know Trey Lance as good as those other guys in terms of what he is off the field? Not necessarily, but everything that I have tapped into is that the work ethic is as good as anyone in this drafts. And uh, I think he's somebody that has been vocal on social media for a lot of great things. And I think that's exciting to see with Trey Lance. I don't think he fears anything like that. Uh, that's a pretty, it's crazy to say, but there's a lot of pressure at that program to be great because they win a lot of football games. So it's not like Trey Lance was going to, you know, wherever and, and going three and eight every year. And they had 5,000 people in the stands like North Dakota state fans are as hardcore as anyone in the country. And the guy was played immaculate football for that one season. And then with Wilson, I mean, BYU is a great program. And you look at them scheduling Coastal Carolina, a really good Coastal Carolina on a whim, and him having them basically down to like the five-yard line to win the game. And the shots he took in that game and just the competitiveness, like there's something to love about all of them. It's, it's nice to have a year where personally, and I know other people are generating their own storylines about Zach Wilson and probably all the old quarterbacks. I try to tune it out. I don't really have any of those concerns. Like the year with Josh Rosen, there was fair concerns that there was, you know, riffs at UCLA. And there's a lot of quarterbacks like this, even Kyler Murray. Some people were like, he's not vocal. Like your typical quarterback, is that going to translate? And, you know, time will tell. I think he's been pretty dang good so far, but it's interesting in the evaluation process. It hasn't really been that kind of year with these four guys. You feel pretty good about everything you hear about them. Uh, do I think Wilson is, you know, as mature as a Lawrence or Fields yet in terms of what he's been asked to handle? I mean, those guys are national rock stars at the college football programs they handle. It's not that Wilson can't do it. It says that we haven't really seen it yet. So, but for it to be a concern on my I list of things, it's, it doesn't exist. So picking up on the QB discussion, one of the things I was wondering was, um, given the front office and coaching staff's emphasis on collaboration in their decision-making process, how much of a say do you think Mike LaFleur will have in the drafting of the next QB? And I guess my follow-up to that would be, in your opinion, how much say should Mike LaFleur have in the drafting of the next QB? Well, a lot and a lot. So number one, I mean, if your guy is coaching, if you believed in him enough to hire him to run the offense, you should believe in listening to his voice in terms of finding the engine for the offense. I think that's really, really vital. Um, it goes back to an interesting thing. When the Jets drafted Sam Darnold, I had always heard that the coaches at the time really, really loved Josh Allen. And you know, from a GM's perspective, and I understand this, Josh Allen had a lot of risk because he had accuracy issues. He had some confidence issues at the time. Those were real. And you're taking him out of a Wyoming program where he was not that great his final year and bring him into New York. I think everything worked out for Josh Allen and Buffalo. I can't confidently say that would have happened with the Jets. But it's a good, interesting example of a little bit of a disagreement between personnel department and coaching staff. Now, one of the reasons I think Robert Sala was hired is because there's a strong belief that Joe Douglas and his team can work really well with Robert Sala's and his team. And Michael floor was in that package from every interview Robert Sala has done. So they are well aware of that. So you got to look at it and go, you need the sign off from the coach. You don't need to go to the coach and say, what quarterback are we taking? Because that's what Joe Douglas gets paid a lot of money on a six year contract to do. And he's going to do research and his team is going to do research on that, that the coaches aren't responsible for. 
like character, like background, like injury history, like what everyone at the school is saying about the player. Um, you know, they'll all do tape study, but Mike LaFleur right now is his hands full of how they're going to spend $60 million in free agency to get pro players for an offense that is lacking at a lot of areas. And I'm not saying he's not, they're junkies. These guys, they're doing college at the same time, but it's a quick process. It's very hard. Um, It's, you know, obviously a whirlwind in terms of how fast these things move, where I would say you're looking for coaches to sign off on picks rather than actually asking them what pick needs to be made. And most of the time, everybody will agree at quarterback, not necessarily, but agree where it's okay. They believe in that guy. Now, I think where this is easy, from what I understand, it feels like we know Zach Wilson's a good scheme fit for what LaFleur wants to do. And it feels like a lot of NFL evaluators feel comfortable with Zach Wilson as a top two kind of pick. So I think it it makes a lot of – I think if you look at it like this, say – you know, the Jets are looking at this draft class well in advance because NFL teams are on this two years in advance. Would Joe Douglas have hired Robert Sala, who he knew was bringing Mike LaFleur, if he wanted a coach that would bring in a scheme that's better suited for Justin Fields? I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they think Justin Fields is the guy, and I don't think that's crazy. I think that's fair. But when you connect all of the dots and put it all together – there's a belief in philosophy with each hire and then each personnel decision. And the jets are really bad at aligning these things, but this feels like the first time in a long time that they, they seem to have everything aligned the right way. So before you, before you joined us, brother, the conversation and and again, a repeated conversation I've, I've seen at least 15, 20 mocks and at the Seattle pick it's, it's been a running back every single time. And this was the first one before you came on. We were grading a mock where it was different running back Najee Harris at 23, but it's usually Travis Etienne. Now there is, even in our, even in our own TOJ chat, there is uh, a difference of opinion in one. I think, does he fit the scheme, right? That we think LaFleur is going to run. And again, it may resemble something very different than what we're expecting. It may not resemble that 49er scheme. Uh, so there's, there's disagreement there, but then there's also other than James who absolutely hates the idea of taking a running back in round one, there is some disagreement about even if you, even if you take like, is Etienne worth the 23rd pick overall? So just where do you get, where do you reconcile that difference between folks thinking he's not a scheme fit versus he is and that value at 23, which I think, you know, we've seen teams have won big with no, without investing heavy capital into, into the running back position. Yeah. It's an interesting conversation, right? I think when you look at it, just the player alone, ETN, his skill set, he's pretty scheme diverse, honestly. I think when you're looking at what the Jets are expected to do, which is a wide zone, I think he'd be fine. I think actually what you love about it is if you can get him to the outside to plant that foot and get up fields, he can go hundred miles an hour and, and really change the big play threat of your offense, which doesn't exist for the New York jets offense right now. And quite frankly, hasn't for a long time. So I think it's what excites you about Etienne. He's really improved as a pass catcher over the years. He's gone from really a non-factor in that area to a, to a, a playmaker. I mean, somebody that can really pick up a lot of yards and he's so good with his contact balance, his ability to create his own yard. So I think he can be a downhill runner. He could be an outside runner. I think in the wide zone, he has more than enough giddy up and decision-making to really, really succeed there. That's actually the scheme I would like to see him playing. Now the question is, do you take a player like that for the jets in the first round? And the answer is really no, because there's too many other needs. Um, They're not a, a front office from what I gather that will prioritize running back with premium draft capital and dollars. So are you going to go out and pay one 10 to $12 million a year? 
Probably not. That was a Mike McCagnan thing with Le'Veon. Are you going to go draft one in the first round or two? Probably not. You have needs at edge. You have needs at corner. You have needs at offensive line, tight end, wide receiver, you know, probably quarterback, which is a whole nother conversation. Uh, you, quietly, you have needs at linebacker, guys that can run and cover in this scheme. So I don't really see where running back falls into the equation. Now you're coming back into next year with what Michael P. Ryan and Ty Johnson. I know people like each of them for different reasons. They are far from proven commodities or even somebody that you can rely on for more than five to six carries a game right now. So when you look at it like that, and I, I'm excited about what they could do, especially Ty Johnson, but I'm, you're not betting on them. So you're probably looking at a veteran signing in free agency. You're probably looking at a day late day two, like round three, the Seattle pick in round three or early, early day three, like P Ryan was drafting at the position. You have Kenny Gainwell. There's a lot of different runners in this. You know, it doesn't, I don't know if this class after ETN and Najee and, and Javante and Michael Carter is an exciting one. I don't know if I really get fired up over it. Chuba Hubbard's a weird wild card because you would think, you know, you look at 2019 and you're like, wow, he'd be great in this scheme. You watch 2020 and you're like, what happened to this guy? So at a program that had so much problems that I don't know how much of it I put on Chuba. So the point is I love ETN and he fits like a glove in the scheme, but you, I just don't think you're taking a running back at, at two 23, 34, you know, I, I don't even know if you're taking one at 66. Like, I just don't know if they can afford to do that, if they believe in doing that, or quite frankly, if they even need to do that. Yeah, and I, I think I, you saw me throw my hands up because Kenneth Gainwell is a guy that I'm very high on, but James hates. <laughs> not like, you know, Big G from Memphis. He does not like him. I'm a very big Kenny Gainwell fan. But I also think, I mean, a guy that I've even put in my off seasons is Jamal Williams, who you mentioned earlier with Green Yeah. Because again, like that's a guy that you see Joe Douglas adding, and then you take a guy like a Kenny Gainwell, right, in in, in day three, and now suddenly you have a more well-rounded uh, running uh, running group, uh, especially like because again, you're talking about you're coming from you have your head coach and your offensive coordinator who are come and almost like half of his staff it feels like because they've taken so many assistants from from San Francisco. James mentioned that you know a couple of weeks ago it, they've turned they've turned anybody into a productive rusher, right? And I think it was Joe you mentioned this. Uh, that system is very much the Shanahan system from the nineties where Mike Anderson ran for 1500 yards, right? It was a running a fullback off the street. So realistically uh, pouring first round draft capital, I'm sorry, jet fans, it's probably not something that's going to happen. No matter how many times you tell us that that's something that, that they should do. Joe, you do have you, a comment. Yeah, do you guys, do you guys think that Jamal Williams could be the RB one in this, uh, in this, on this team? Because I, I personally, I see him as like a really solid RB2. I think he's like a really good third down back, a guy who you bring in there if you know your RB1 gets injured and you have, and I think you would really need like a pretty stout offensive line on top of that. I just can't see him being like the lead back in this kind of like running back by committee. And I think he's actually a lot like P, I will, I, I think P Ryan is actually who you would hope, you know, that he would develop into somebody like Jamal Williams. I think they're actually pretty comparable players. Um, so maybe he would be good to bring in to kind of like put him under his wing and kind of, you know, teach him the way, but I have a lot of reservations with him being the RB one. If that's what, I, I don't know if that's what you were suggesting. 
So I, I think and before Connor answers, I think I'll say I think there is no running back one in this in this offense. I think I exactly. Think, yep. I think that I think that's the way that I look at it because I think when you look at what San Francisco did, right? When when you you had Breida, you had McKinnon when he came back from the ACL injury, right? Tevin Coleman and uh, I'm drawing a blank on who the fourth running back was. Like my San Francisco just rolled the hot hand, whoever it was. I don't think that there's a running back one in in this specific system. If Lafleur is bringing over a lot of these San Francisco concepts, I think they're just going to roll whoever the hot hand is. That's kind of how I view it because I, and also you have to remember this running back class in free agency isn't necessarily the best. The top two backs in free agency are Jamal Williams and probably Marlon Mack, who neither should be running back one in any system realistically, but that's essentially who Joe Douglas is trying to add because, and Joe, you made this point. One of the failures of Sam, uh, one of the things that led to Sam Darnold's failure is no emphasis, no, no, no good running game to help take off some of the pressure from him. So you want to bring in somebody that's going to be productive. And so, whereas we think of running back ones as like a, you know, Zeke Elliott or whatever, I don't, I don't view it like that. Not in this system, because I don't think there is one. Is that what you were going to say, Connor? Yeah, that's what I, where I'm at with this. I don't know. You know, it's one of those things where if you find the guy by accident, then great. Like you look at when Benton, who's the Jets offensive line coach now, was in Houston all those years. Aaron Foster was an undrafted player and he turned out to be, you know, many seasons of phenomenal production in the scheme. So do the Jets find that guy in Ty Johnson or uh, a day three pick this year or Jamal Williams exceeds expectations as a free agent signing? Marlon Mack is very interesting to me because I think he's a very, very good player for this scheme. And he's somebody coming off an injury where probably gets like a $2 million deal on a one-year contract or some, a complete dart throw. So I I think when you look at it, I'm with you, Dalvin, that it's, you know, you don't really go into the year thinking, Hey, we're going to have this guy take the ball 20 times a game. Maybe you do, but you kind of just play it as you go and, and feel out the hot hand and, you know, try to find value in volume rather than quality. I mean, when you see a guy like Derrick Henry, they'll work in a similar system with what he kind of brings to that offense. Doesn't that kind of like maybe get you a little bit more excited for potentially bringing somebody like that in and having like more of that kind of RB1 as opposed to like, obviously even in RBBC, there is usually that lead back, you know? But that doesn't, you know, change your mind. You're seeing like where the Titans have been and even like, you know, you know where the Jets were back in the day, you know, when they brought Thomas Jones and I believe it was for a second round pick and they just, you know, ran the ball down people's throats. You know, so I, you know, when I, when I see even, even Nick Chubb, obviously got hit, got a little injured here, even Dalvin cook and what he does in those particular similar systems. It's just, when I see that, I, it's just something that I, in some ways I crave. I'm like, I, I think that that could make this offense really get to the next level and kind of take some pressure off of what will probably be a rookie quarterback. I mean, if I can get a Najee Harris at 34, it's the outlier that I would do it because he's a receiving weapon. He's great in pass protection. He's an all world person. Uh, he's one of the best runners that's come out of the draft in a long time. So it's a situational case by case kind of thing where, okay, we know Najee's going to be, cause then you probably, you know, lessen how early you take wide receiver because you really have a focal point of the offense. So it, it's case by case. I, I just think that Joe Douglas is a guy that is going to say, I believe in myself enough to go find the next James Robinson of this year and that's a, you know, an undrafted guy, but even maybe fifth, sixth, seventh round, uh, because I think I'm that good at scouting a position that a lot of people around the NFL believe is very easy to scout starter level players at, especially those 49ers coaches just ran, you know, everything they could off of a couple of players like that. So it's interesting, but if you, if once again, connecting the dots of what this coaching staff and what the scouting staff has, has done the last couple of years now meshing together, 
I just ultimately think they don't invest premium capital into the spot. I mean, you know, you even saw like the 49ers before they kind of, I, I think in some ways they kind of got a little lucky finding all those guys, you know, where do you, where do you really see all these like sub four, four guys actually on one team? I think they're actually a little bit harder to find than maybe wherever Kyle players. Shanahan goes. Yeah. That's where <laughs> Yeah, I he's been scouting running backs like that since he was like four years old. But they still, they still pretty much invested pretty heavily in Jarek McKinnon when he was available. So it's not like he didn't try to put that money in that, in that position. I think actually that particular year, they, they spent a decent amount, I don't know the exact number, but a decent amount of cash on, on running back before they actually were like, wow, Breda could do this. Wow, Moser could do this. Oh, look at, look at Wilson. He's, he's another guy. And actually, they drafted a guy hasty last year. So maybe I'm kind of proving your point a little bit you know, with this one. And also, so, and also you, using, using McKinnon's contract is a bad move because McKinnon's contract, though, it looked on paper like it was a four-year, $30 million deal. It was really like it's a, a one-year deal. Right. It was not, it was not really big money in this grand scheme of running backs. Uh, one last question on running backs, Connor, does it change your mind if we trade for Deshaun Watson that to take a running back? <laughs> Hi, I feel like uh, I, the only way I'd be okay with it is if they traded for Deshaun, I'd be like, yeah, take the running back. I don't care. I mean, I'm not going to complain about really anything after they <laughs> trade for Deshaun Watson, but I think when you look at it, I don't know. I would like to kind of see the anti-Houston route and, and put an offensive line in front of Deshaun that, you know, earlier in the show, I said Deshaun was a tremendous player playing in structure and you love everything he could do out of structure. But I would like to protect him, especially a guy that's had a couple of knee injuries in his career. I think that if they were to go out and get a Deshaun, you might sit there and go, OK, how do we keep this guy upright for the next 12 years? Yeah, that's a good question. But you guys uh, would rather take the running back when you have Deshaun as opposed to like take one when you have a rookie quarterback? I'm gonna be real. If I have Deshaun, like I'm Connor, I don't care what they do. They can take a kicker. I don't I don't really care. <laughs> you know what I you know what I think? I think like everybody, even the people who don't want to take running backs, if Najee Harris is a selection at 34, even the people who don't think that they should take a, a, a running back there are all gonna secretly love it. They're gonna be I mean, like 34, 34 is a steal. 34 is a steal. Even James is gonna be sleeping at night and being like <laughs> You know, Najee Harris, that's, that's pretty nice. <laughs> I will, I will also say, because I, I think that's a really good point. If, if they take Najee at 34, I think that's a steal. <laughs> and yeah. Like, like, and also, and, and Connor, you and I had this conversation years ago. Where somebody goes does not dictate their value, right? Like, for example, like Connor said, like he has, he has Fields, Wilson, and Lance as the three, four, third, fourth, and fifth best players in the class. But Lance may go 11th, right, or 12th, or, I mean, may fall to 19th or whatever. I think that with a lot with a lot of these guys, especially running back in particular, Etienne and Harris are really good players. Like, I know for me, like, I have them as top 25 players in this class. But if they go 30 and below, it's not surprising me because the NFL is just weird like that. Connor, before we let you go, we have a bunch of rapid-fire questions we're going to ask you uh, just real quick. James pulled all this together from the 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 crazy folks that are Jets Twitter. We'll start with this one first. Out of wide receiver, O-line, edge, and cornerback, which position has the best depth in this year's draft? Oh, wow. Wide receiver, O-line, edge, and corner. I would say offensive line is the deepest, uh, which is rare. You really don't get a lot of years like that. Wide receiver is probably tied, though. It's like a 1A and 1B. I think this edge class has gotten better over the year. It's not incredible. And I think the corner class is solid. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if it's between Ojulari, Owe, Pay, Stokes, or Horn at 23, which way do you lean? Ojulari by a mile. <laughs> We're going edge at 23. James will like that. Where, right. where do you think Ojulari fits in this in this, this defense? Where, where are you playing him? Wide nine. He's like, he, has the be- he has the best explosiveness and bend and speed rush in the class. His size doesn't bother you at all? 
Also, watch what Georgia Georgia does this every year, where they play guys somewhere and they exceed elsewhere in the NFL. <laughs> right. Jordan Jenkins played nose tackle at times for Georgia when he was in college, okay. which makes no sense at all. None whatsoever. But yeah, yeah. Uh, Ojulari should be on the field. That's where you play him. Yeah, and and I mean, and I think we talked about this before you came on. I think you have to trust that Robert Sala is going to find a way. To, it's very fair. To, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna find a way to get his guy there. Uh, what are Fields' biggest weaknesses to you? Uh, I think that internal clock, you know, once again, it's just he's holding on to the ball a tick too long. It's not like the guy has no idea what's going on in the field. It's not like that. It's just a college reps and experience of, you know, really wanting that play to break open. And I wonder how much of that is coached into him. I, I think the second thing would ultimately be there are times where he takes some really big hits that I would like to see him not take, uh, which you love the toughness of the player. But him and Zach Wilson get themselves into some car crashes that I just don't I, – I love how tough they are, but I don't want that at the next level. See, and I'm glad you mentioned that about Wilson because that's actually my biggest fear with him is that because of his frame, I'm like, listen, yes. I don't take any of these hits. I'm like, you know, not yes. Somebody had this question for you. Is Wilson's injury history cause for concern? Yeah, I think it's fair. I think it's a cause for concern. I think it's one of the main things that you'll, you know, you'll list on, hey, you know, is this going to be a problem at the next level? Because it's there. The frame is not huge. And like you said, he, he gets into some some wrecks. But, you know, all quarterbacks get hurt. It depends how much you protect them. You know, Watson, I think, has torn his ACL twice now. Uh, Rogers has had some huge injuries in his career. Mahomes, had, Mahomes has had a couple now. Mahomes is playing hurt every week. I feel like it's either his <laughs> yeah. foot or his ankle or Mahomes is out there hurt every single week. I don't know how Russ isn't hurt more. Russ mm-hmm. gets lit up and he just, I think he's got, Russ is built like a tank though. He's like 5'10", yeah, yeah, 225. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, it's, it's a real concern. Sometimes. I mean, of course it's a real concern. Trevor Lawrence is going under the knife soon for surgery for five, six month recovery for non-throwing. So uh, I think it's absolutely fair concern. Yeah. Favorite prospect. A question for Fabiz DA, yep. just because yep. he asked me to ask when he's not here. We missed him a little bit today. So yep. he wanted Go me to it. ask you this, Connor, particularly said uh, over under four and a half wide receivers taken in uh, round one. I'll say over. I think we'll get five. Over. Oh, wow. All right, cool. Round one. I mean, we're, we're assuming that Chase, Devante, and Waddle go very, very early. It's a good question because I had to, this was tough last year. I, I could see. Rondell Moore, if medicals are okay, finds his way in maybe. You have Terrace Marshall, Kadarius Tony, Rashad Bateman. I don't know. Whenever you have a group of players and you can't figure out which ones will sneak in, uh, usually the answer is at least like half of them. So I think we'll get five. Yeah. It's a tough I one. Say, and, I, and I will say I, I tend to include Kyle Pitts in the pass catcher thing, and you, he's going in the top 15, like I, or top 20 at least, right? Like he's, he's the best tight end in the class by a country mile, but he's really yep. a receiver. Um, Joe, you had another question or you want me to go to the next round? Oh, go, go for it. Yep. All right. Uh, give me one prospect that you think is going to rise during this process and one prospect that you think is going to fall. Ooh, man, that's a good one. I, I think, cause it's always tricky to keep up with the trends, right? If you ask me that in October or November, I'd say Dwayne Eskridge and now his stock shot up like to the moon. He's not a riser anymore. He might actually fall to where people, now people are like second round. I don't think he goes in the second round. No. So I, I think, this is kind of crazy to say, but I think Trey Lance will actually rise. I think people are putting him in mocks in like the middle of the first. I think he goes top eight. Uh, I think when teams see him work out and throw, they will be blown away. But that's kind of a boring answer. 
I think Brevin Jordan is a guy that'll rise. He's probably at the top of the third, late second for a lot of teams. I think he's more of a middle second, early second player because he'll test off the charts. Um, I think he's really tough. I think that he handled a lot of roles and people like that, he, how he works out. Who will fall? Wow. Mm. I don't, it's, that's tricky. Um, wow. What about Patrick that is, I, I have not really been that high on him to begin with. So oh, he's not falling for you. because he's, he's a Yeah. I, I saw him in a lot of top fifties early on. And I just, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's where he's at. You know what, who will, who might fall. It'll be interesting process for Jalen Phillips. Because Jalen Phillips, I think, is a freak on the field. I think he – the film's great. He's going to be a great athlete in terms of testing numbers. I think teams are going to want to tap into what went on when he wasn't playing football. And I'm not, a, like, alluding to anything or saying he's a bad person. I just think they want to know how much, do, how much does football matter to him because there's just unanswered questions there from UCLA, the transfer period. And maybe the question, the answers they get to those questions bumps him up into the top 30. But right now you could see him being more of a flyer in late round two or early round three. Nice. Uh, who's your favorite, pro- your favorite day? Th- give me your favorite prospect for rounds five through seven. Just one prospect that you think if somebody gets them five to seven, that's going to be a really good pick. Maybe Jalen Darden, if he if he makes it there, he might be more around four right now because he's just going to fly in the 40. I think Darden will be a really nice player at the next level, especially if teams use him in the slot where a lot of his reps came at North Texas. So that's one for me. I'm curious to see how Chris Rump from Duke is evaluated. Yeah, uh, you know, he's somebody. Too. Yeah, it just doesn't see, you know, undersized guys like that. You know, they don't really tend to get. um drafted that highly in terms of being an edge so that's an interesting one to me i think elijah mitchell is a late you know a day three running back that i think will be an exciting one as well go ahead Joe. what do you think of yeah speaking of what are some other late round kind of running back prospects and what do you think of particularly like javen hawkins and khalil herbert in this particular scheme Uh, well i think with herbert he's somebody that obviously runs low and runs hard which you have to like that about him i think you know in terms of fitting in this scheme I think that I wonder how teams value a guy like Michael Carter, who has a lot of bursts and isn't the biggest guy in the world. And obviously was splitting carries with an absolute workhorse. In Javante. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you look Let's at them both. Yeah. You, you got a guy like Trey Ragas, who is, you know, was splitting with Elijah Mitchell. So I wonder how teams evaluate those guys. You look at Felton from UCLA. who's was probably more mm-hmm. of a slot receiver that played running back. I wonder how, you know, a w- offensive weapon kind of player will fit this scheme. And he's more of a around four or five guy. So it, there's a million names you can go through. And I, I think it'll be kind of interesting narrowing down who makes the most sense and how late they go rather than highlighting, you know, Najee Harris and Travis Etienne. Who's that, who's that sleeper tight end that, you know, you could see, you know, obviously not being George Kittle, but playing in that particular role. Wow, that's that's a good one because I don't think this is a very impressive tight end class. It, it doesn't really fire me up. You have Pitts, who's phenomenal. Um, you know, obviously Farmouth from Penn State, who's you know was hurt, but is a player that has a ton of potential. And Brevin Jordan, who I really really like. And then you kind of get into this list of you know because I just started the back half of this class. I watched Hunter Long last week from Boston College. Uh, you know, really didn't fire me up. 
that much. And, and, and I think that I see him in round three everywhere. I don't really know what he does great, honestly. So, I, I you know, people don't like this answer. Uh, if there's a tight end that's a day three guy that I think will really exceed expectations, you know, we are talking in February, but I have not found him yet. Yeah, that makes sense. I was going to say Charlie. And Coca-Cola. Charlie Kohler going back to school absolutely yeah. killed that. That was the yeah. biggest issue in that. It was Kohler. Absolutely. Yeah. DA. You're yeah. all over it. Yep. Uh, say we go, you know, quarterback at two and then O-line or corner at, at 23. Somebody asked likelihood of Terrence Marshall at 34. You know, it's interesting because I think he's pretty much the same kind of player as Denzel Mims. So do they want another guy like that? Because I think Mims is an exciting player. Or do they want to kind of change what other receivers they have? I think it'll be the latter. So I don't think Marshall's very likely for them as much as he's very, very good. I think you're looking more in the Kadarius Tony kind of mold of a player. Um, you know, it'll be interesting though. I just think Marshall's somebody that'll go top 40 and I, I don't think the jets will, will value him like that for their scheme. Uh, free agent that you want the most. Oh, wow. I mean, the obvious guy is Joe Tooney. I would say the more like guy I want the most that isn't a tier one free agent would be Carl Lawson. I think he would be tremendous for them. They need a guy that could just get upfield after the quarterback. And, and that's what he does. And you've and for folks that don't know, Connor has been banging the Carl Lawson drum since Auburn. This is not new. We are not new to this. I'm running out of energy for this. <laughs> I'm, this is my last try. Can't, can't keep asking for him, for him and them not delivering. That's how I feel about Allen Robinson. That's how I feel about Allen Robinson. I've how been many times do we have to go through this? Chris Godwin. Eventually, yeah. you just run out of energy. Listen, exactly. it's working because, like, I'm I'm fully on the on the Carl uh, on the Carl bandwagon right now and, and Meeks actually brought him up too a couple he of times did. So. he did he did no I, yeah and team toj is united in the but again like it's one of those things like i can't keep asking you for Allen robinson i can't keep doing that i can't keep well t- and it brings up an interesting point that you brought up earlier with ojulari is you know where does he fit in this defense i'm curious to see what sala wants on the edge mm-hmm. because quite frankly i don't think we like anybody could draft nick fosa like it's just like <laughs> They took him because it was Nick Bosa. Like, it wasn't really a decision. Now, where the Jets are picking, because they're not taking an edge at two, and there's no edge that should go at two, he's going to have to pick his type of edge, whether it's a Quincy Roche, an Ojulari, or, you know, Rousseau, who I I don't really project as that kind of fit for them, although you never know. It depends how they view the other guys on the roster and what roles they can handle. So first drafts for coaching staffs are personally very exciting to me. Uh, because they see things totally different maybe than a scout's eye and what kind of players they're looking for that they couldn't get when they weren't the head coach somewhere else. I think we could see, like, we've seen 4-3 under from uh, the 49ers in the past. I think this past year, based on, you know, what I've seen so far, it's been more of a 4-3 over. That's why I kind of, like, I was kind of teetering on Ojolari. I didn't know if I really saw him as a Y9. I mean, like, 240 pounds, but I thought he could even possibly play, like, the strong side linebacker, like, in a 4-3 under. So He I can. Thought, he like, could play off the ball. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he could play off the ball. I think that's what's exciting about him is that he's pretty versatile. In, in terms of the under and the over, I've seen them do so many different things in the last three years of Salah's coaching, especially even the way they changed their coverages in terms of pattern matching and just being a base cover three team. So, you know, I'd love to sit here and tell you exactly what they're going to do, but I think a lot of that is going to be dictated off what personnel they come out with when May begins. Yeah, and I, I think that's honestly something that we've talked to Jeff a lot about is that 
free agency comes first in a month, right? So again, league year kicks off March 17th, but teams can start negotiating March 10th with players, right? So like you can kind of start to see that. I think it's going to be fascinating because I'm with you, Founder. And this ties into our last question, this last rapid fire question. Uh, I'm super excited because Robert Sala and Mike LaFleur and all these guys, they, again, you've been waiting for so long for this one shot to be a head coach, offensive coordinator, all that, right? Like they brought in a lot of assistant coordinators to be to head up their own units, assistant uh, position coaches to head up their own units in, in New York. So these are a lot of guys that just haven't gotten this shot and this is their shot to, to, to make right. And I tweeted this the other day. I do not think Robert Sala signed up for this 10-year rebuild because I think rebuilds in the NFL are a myth and that should not be accepted by Jet fans. Um, how excited are you? Just Joe Douglas, Robert Sala, this offense, the potential here, all this cap space, the draft picks. Just how excited are you as a Jets fan and also just as somebody who covers the draft for a living to just see what they come out of in this, you know, this first uh, offseason for Douglas and Sala? It's been a long time since I've felt like this about this team. And I think people can probably get that feeling off of, you know, I've been writing again, uh, you know, as much as I do the draft from a national perspective as a full-time job, you know, I've been giving more time to the Jets focus because this is what I love the most about the NFL. And that's the blueprint of building a franchise. And that is from scratch. You have a new coach, a new staff, probably, I mean, it's going to be a new scheme on both sides of the ball. And once again, we're going to see what they do, but we feel confident in saying there's going to be significant schematic changes to what this football team does. You have extra draft ammo. You have dollars to spend in a year where not a lot of the NFL has those dollars to get crazy on the free agent market. So this is, you know, what we as kids always did in Madden franchise mode from the ground up. And I think that is, I think that's the most exciting thing in football. Yeah. You know, when I was doing six football for Bleacher Report, I kind of considered my, you know, they weren't, I wasn't fans of the teams, but I became so ingrained in covering the teams or were interacting with their fan bases. It was the Browns when they were really rebuilding the Raiders when they were really, really rebuilding. And I know this will break hearts, but even the dolphins, you know, two years ago, uh, because those fans listen to the draft shows the most and want to know how did they get this thing right. So I think there's something really cool this year where it's the team I grew up loving that is that team that has all this extra resources and potential and excitement um, that, is, that is that team. Yeah, and I think for us, you know, Joe, I, James, Mike, we, we actually said that. We were like, this is such a good time for us to actually, like, pour over some of this. Because I'll be frank, like, you know, I – I didn't want Sam Darnold, right? Like, I love Jamal Adams coming out, but I didn't really want Sam Darnold. I didn't like Adam Gase. So there's been, like, a black cloud over this organization for the last two years. And I'm glad you mentioned Miami because Miami is proof. You do not need to rebuild for three or four years. Miami was able to turn it around in two years. Um, And so I'm excited to see what this is. Before we let you go, brother, three months before the draft, or two and a half months, who is the pick at two for the New York Jets? I'm going to say Zach Wilson. I'm going to say that, you know, they get a trade for Sam that they like, uh, whether that's, you know, a two plus or they get a late one. Uh, I, I lean on the side of the two plus. Um, and I think that puts them in a position where, you know, I, here's the thing with Deshaun Watson. He would be plan one A times a million. I, I think Houston is so ignorant to what they've done. Yeah. They really aren't taking calls on him. <laughs> and you got to make a plan. If you're the Jets, you can't say, hey, July, hopefully Houston picks up the phone. (laughs) So we took we took Penny Sewell and we traded Sam Darnold and James Morgan is taking the quarterback one reps because we think we're trading for Deshaun Watson. So I'd love to sit here and tell you that that was going to be it and nothing would make any of us happier. I just don't see the world where that at at this moment, things change very quick in the NFL, especially 
uh, when idiots are running a team mm -hmm. that, you know, things change very quickly. But right now that's the situation of it. So if you're the Jets and you have to make a real plan, I don't really see how from a money standpoint and what he's done standpoint so far, you can roll with Sam Darnold one more year when you're picking second overall. I've made my case for the scheme fits and the hires of why it'll be Wilson. You know, if they took fields, I think it's really exciting. I think it really is. I think the point is, I don't really think they can screw this up. Yes. I, it's, you know, people will not like this. I think the biggest way they screw this up is if they keep Darnold. Yeah. So yeah. we'll see. I, I don't think they do that. I don't think they do that. I think they trade him and draft a quarterback at two. Yeah. And we all echo that sentiment. There is no season I want to watch with Sam Darnold running this damn thing back. Connor. Thank you so much, man, for joining us for this extended conversation. Our Jet fans are going to be thrilled about it. Uh, it's safe to see you offline, so, but you know it's not bullshit. I'm incredibly proud of just all the just the kick-ass work you've been doing, man. And like, I'm proud to have came into TOJ. Like, I tell the story of how we started, and they just told us to just write about undrafted free agents. That's all they told us to do, right? Yep, yep. See you, and now to see you on on Bleacher Report. And I'm always texting my boys like, "Yo, so my guy on Bleacher said this, so like, understand this." And it feels good to be able to say that. So I'm incredibly proud of you, man. And thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate you so much, Dalvin. You know that. And you guys are killing it with this show. I, I love I love seeing it. I love seeing the coverage continue and turn on the Jets. So keep crushing it. And thanks for having me. And, you know, anytime you need me, just give me a call. Absolutely. Yeah, Thank you guys so much. Thank you. All right. Later, guys. Take later. care, man. See ya. Awesome. Yeah, that was great, man. Uh, I thought that was good. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, we're gonna end. We're gonna leave you guys with me and Joe just wrapping real quick because I I, I want to debrief a little bit of what Connor said. But Joe, what's your what's your what's your biggest takeaway from just because I think he agrees also with Mark that like if we were talking about just pure scheme, it's Trey Lance, right? Like Trey Lance is the guy that fits the scheme kind of seamlessly, if you if you if you will. Uh, it's just a worry about like you haven't seen him play in a year. That that's kind of a lot to ask, folks, right? Yeah, I think when it comes down to it, it's like what exactly what you said, Mark said even with uh, what Connor said, that we'll be lucky to get any one of these three yeah. quarterbacks. Yeah. And that's it. And we're in a really good position. We have a tremendous amount of capital. And if we trade Sam, we're going to have another draft pick, which is going to mm -hmm. make draft season totally crazy. It might explode <laughs> on here. We're going to get totally nuts. And yeah. it's actually going to be like a Madden franchise. We yeah. actually like, you know, accumulate all these picks. And you're like, is this, is this realistic? Well, apparently it is. Apparently it is. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I, I echo that. I echo your excitement. And I will say, like, you know, and I've said this to both you and James and, and Mike offline, like, I'm, I feel rejuvenated doing this with you guys. You know, we've done draft season now for about six years, right? And initially it was Jeff, Jeff Lloyd and I who joined us uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, then Joe Malfa and I did, did it for two years. But with you guys, it's, it's, it's so much fun because there's so many different perspectives. And I think that being able to have that and, and then me being able to learn a little bit more too. And hopefully you Jet fans also feel the same. Hopefully that you guys have enjoyed it. Uh, thank you guys so much for all the questions that you sent in. Uh, and we will be back next week with episode 10 of season six of draft season. Have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Please kiss your partners if you're celebrating Valentine's Day. And do not wait till today to go get flowers. You should have done that already. Do not wait till today to do that. Uh, but thank you guys for listening. And we will be back next week. <laughs>